Hello, friends. We are so glad that you are joining us on this exponential webinar. Ed and I are excited to have you with us today. And uh, thanks for investing your time in the expansion of God's kingdom. I, and, and I believe God has brought you here to this webinar uh, to stir something up in you, to breathe on the embers of your heart and to unleash you in some new ways in your life and leadership and ministry. So this is going to be a great time together. Uh, today, Ed and I will unpack nine scorecard questions that will accelerate the mobilization of God's people through your life and ministry. And we're, we're going to rediscover this ancient scorecard for a new church. And you're going to love this time, I think. Let me just introduce uh, Ed and myself. I'm Dr. Larry Walkemeyer, and uh, for the past 30 years, I've been leading a church in urban North Long Beach, and uh, God has blessed us. We're a multi-ethnic, multiplying, church-planting church, and for the past five years, I've um, been serving as director of equipping and spiritual engagement with Exponential as well, and I've written a number of books on this subject of multiplication. And my friend and ministry uh, comrade here is Dr. Ed Love, and Ed's an amazing man, an amazing man of God. He, he's the director of church multiplication for the Wesleyan Church. I mean, all the Wesleyan Church. And uh, Ed has planted uh, two multiplying churches um, and dotted multiple church plants has provided coaching and training and resourcing for church planters from many denominations and uh, across the nation for church planters. Um, Ed also uh, designed and teaches the church planting course at Wesley Seminary, lives in Muncie, Indiana with his wife and three kids. And uh, Ed, it's, it's just really exciting to have you with us today. And we're going to have a good time, aren't we? We are going to have a good time. And it's great to be with you, Larry, as always. Uh, it's just a blessing uh, when you're in the room, when you're on Zoom, and uh, you know it's it's uh, really neat just the ways that we've been able to partner over the last year and uh, in the future. So super excited about today. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let me just uh, read a verse to get us going. Uh, it's always good to start with the Word of God, isn't it? Uh, one of the the summary statements of the New Testament church in Acts 9.31, especially in the English Standard Version, which I think gets this last um, phrase accurately, says this, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The Greek word there is plethuno, and it can mean, yes, it increased in numbers, but it also means it multiplied, and that's exactly what happened in the New Testament church. And so uh, Ed and I are all about uh, multiplication, and Ed and I have teamed up in a joint venture between, between, watch this, between Exponential and Asbury Seminary, one of the leading seminaries in our nation, and we have created um, a new doctorate of ministry degree program where you can earn your doctorate of church multiplication. And so we want to invite you. Um, actually, we're going to have a free lunch this Thursday. You say, how do you do that online? Well, Asbury will actually send you a gift card for lunch, and you can hang out with Ed and I for an hour there, and we'll do lunch. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll even chew on camera, Ed. Uh, <laughs> Love to see that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see that, right. Um, but uh, we're so glad you're here. And we're going to do a question and answer part to this at the end of our teaching session. And we want you involved in that. And so right now you can begin to put your questions um, into the chat there on the hub. And uh, we're going to get to that. So feel free to send in your questions as we begin uh, to teach. Um we really pray that a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit is surging in you as we begin to emerge from um, this pandemic of COVID. Uh, Ed and I are really praying for that, that, that this would not have just been a momentary interruption, um, a pause 
to return as quickly as possible to doing everything like you were doing before and scoring everything like you were before, but it, that it would be a new day, a disruption a, that helps launch you into a, a, a new scorecard and a new level of effectiveness in kingdom multiplication. Now, I, I know I'm excited. Ed, yesterday, uh, as lead pastor at our church, uh, we were inside for one of our three services yesterday for the first time, really, since last March. And it was just incredible to see faces I hadn't seen for uh, over a year. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited uh, uh, about what's happening and the church regathering in person as we remain online as well. But I, I got to tell you that the thing that I'm most excited about is going to happen two weeks from now. And that is we are launching uh, another church plant called Free Life Community Church. And that's what really excites me. It, it was formed and organized during COVID and it's off to a launch two weeks from now. And, uh, and that's what you and I want to talk about is what's most exciting to us. And we want to ask you that are listening, what's your church's true scorecard? How do you really define success and what puts points on the board? And uh, we want to suggest to you that the ancient scorecard of the early church is what is needed in order to effectively build the church of Jesus in this uh, post-COVID emerging post-Christian world that we live in. Uh, we got a major in multiplication, not just addition like we have been. We got a major in disciple making, not just attracting attendees. We got a major in mobilizing believers into their gifts and their callings. So that's what we're going to talk about. We've got to create new structures that will support the new work that God is doing and wants to do. And so um, we want to invite you to this scorecard. And um, let, let me just say a couple of things and then Ed, take it away on, on what scorecards are. Um, scorecards really determine what actions uh, get what values in our lives and our ministries. They're, they're means that you use to measure your progress by. Uh, if you if you went to a basketball game and people shot free throws, did layups and and did long shots, but no points were on the board, man, that it would be a confusing game, a boring game. <laughs> the players wouldn't really have incentive. The fans would lose interest quickly. The, the purpose would have gotten lost. And we want to suggest to you if you don't have a, a scorecard for your, for your church. Um, and one that really reflects the purposes of Jesus, then how, how do you know if you're accomplishing the mission Jesus really wants you on? So scorecards shape ministry, because what you'll hear Ed say several times is what gets celebrated gets repeated. What gets celebrated gets repeated. I read a book from 1985, a long time ago, Greatest Management Principle, was the name of that book, GMP, Greatest Management Principle. And it said this, what gets rewarded gets repeated. What gets rewarded gets done. Talk to us about scorecards, Ed. Yeah, well, that's a great introduction, Larry. And it is so true that uh, we all have a scorecard, right? Uh, some of them aren't known yeah, <laughs> publicly, <that's right. laughs> but internally we live with a scorecard and that's really what we want to dive into is uh, what is your internal scorecard? But then also, you know, what are some ways that you can transfer that scorecard over to your leadership teams, those people around you that you're influencing, and then the broader body of your church? Uh, because everybody, even in your church, has some form of scorecard. And there's, it's typical, there's a default you know, scorecard that we kind of go back to. And, and, and a lot of times that's, you know, how many people are in the room? Uh, you know, how much uh, money's in the offering plate? Um, you know, we kind of have these, you know, these basic scorecards that uh, we live with and what just seems like success to us. But uh, to ask the question, like we're asking here today, you know, what, it, what should be our scorecard. And maybe we need to not just necessarily invent a new one, but it's like, let's go back and return to maybe the original scorecard. You know, what was it like even for Jesus? What was his scorecard? What was it like for the apostle Paul? What was his scorecard? 
the early church in the first century. Whoa. What was their scorecard? What was the scorecard of the seven churches that John wrote to in the book of Revelation? What, what were they living with as their metrics or measurements? And maybe we can discover some things and, you know, uh, apply those into the 21st century. So I think that's the, the big idea. And what we're going to do is uh, basically have, you know, uh, you could really uh, uh, have a lot more than nine <laughs> But we've, we've kind of um, meshed together nine scorecard questions that we want to unpack today. And then there's three major categories that I think is really helpful for us to think about. And so each of those categories has uh, three different questions that we're going to uh, walk through for a few minutes and uh, begin to kind of build this scorecard, um, hopefully uh, just help uh, you as the listener just being able to create an internal one, but then also one that's useful for your church at large. And so the three categories uh, that we're kind of working within, just think big picture here for a moment. The three categories is the first one is discipleship that leads to multiplication. So uh, there's a purpose of discipleship. It's not just just discipleship for the sake of discipleship, but it's actually going somewhere. Um, I like how Jesus, when he first Uh, called his first disciples, uh, you know, when he walked up to Peter and Andrew and James and John out in the fishing boat, right? And he's walking along the the shore side and uh, he calls them out. And then he says immediately, the first thing he tells them the end result of, if you come follow me, basically is what he's saying, come follow me and I'm going to make you into something. And he says, I'm going to make you into fishers of people, right? Now, that's a fascinating observation just there, because even in Jesus's mindset, it wasn't just about following him. It was like this following is going to lead to something, and that's going to be this multiplication effect in other people's lives. And so he tells them right from the get-go, I love that, tells them right from the get-go, there's there's something that you're going to be Uh, sent out for, just so you know. So this discipleship thing that you're going to do with me over the next three years is going to lead to something, and it's the fishing of people. So that's a a great uh, way to frame discipleship, I think. But it is the foundation of multiplication. That's what we have to recognize. Discipleship is the foundation of any multiplication movement. So that's the first category. The second category is mobilizing leaders for movement. And so we'll dive into that a little bit, but what does it really look like? What did Jesus do with his, you know, 12 disciples? What did uh, the apostle do with his core disciples? Um, How do we actually mobilize leaders for movement? And are we evaluating that? Do we have a sense of progress in that, that realm? Oftentimes that's kind of this confusing, squishy, you know, undefined realm in church leadership. Uh, You know, it's hard to track. It's hard to measure, you know, how you're actually mobilizing leaders. But I think we got a couple questions that help uh, that kind of advance and move forward. Uh, The third category would be the capacity building for exponential impact. And so what we want to get to eventually, uh, if we're making disciples, if we're mobilizing leaders, there's going to be this multiplication effect that kicks in where it actually leads to the sentness factor of a church. And, you know, that's one of those things that we don't, we don't measure broadly speaking in the church. It's, it's something um, we don't really count or look at those types of things. And, uh, you know, what does it look like to really build capacity for this movement? And so I'm hopeful that in all these categories, we're going to be able to unpack a couple things here that uh, will be helpful and maybe change the internal scorecard for one and then help with the external scorecard for the whole church and lead people down this, uh, this path towards an ancient scorecard. So that's the big goal here. 
Uh, Larry, you want to yeah. uh, go ahead and open up the first one? Yeah, uh, Ed, thanks. And those three categories, uh, discipleship, mobilization, and capacity building, they're actually the framework for this new doctoral course that uh, you and I are teaching. Right. Uh, it's a whole three-year pro- uh, process of, uh, of being with you to earn a doctorate in church multiplication at Asbury Seminary, a, a partnership between Exponential and Asbury. And we're going to use that framework as we move through those three years. So that's exciting. But let's jump into discipleship and these nine uh, ancient scorecard questions, I think. Um, so discipleship that leads to multiplication. Uh, you, you set it up really well, Ed, with uh, Matthew 4.19 there. When, when Jesus called his, his disciples, it was so that they would become disciples who would do with others what he had done with them. And that was the multiplication that would change the world. And I think our discipleship has really majored in what I call the first three C's, which is content, like, do you know the Bible, which you got to know, character, are you being changed more into the character of Christ, which has to happen. And then do you really care about others? And are you really uh, serving others like Christ served them? But we've really forgotten what I call the fourth C, And that is um, a disciple is not just one of content, character, and care, but they are also contagious. Mm -hmm. And in the biological realm, um, maturity is often signaled by reproduction. And so I was partly discipled by the Navigators and Dawson Trotman, who founded the Navigators, had this great quote that just rivets my heart. You haven't made a disciple until your disciple makes a disciple. And that puts the emphasis on the right syllable um, on being contagious. And so, um, yeah, we've got three questions here um, underneath this. And by the way, if you have questions, we're going to take those at the end of this time. Ed, you want to give us that first question for a scorecard? Yeah, that's great. I love the fourth C. And that's really partly the first question here to ask in this category is this question, uh, how many of our disciples shared their faith with not yet believers this year? So it's a question of, you know, are we tracking how many spiritual conversations are happening in our community with our people? And, you know, that is somewhat challenging. We'd love to say that it happens all the time, (laughs) but as you know, if we're not intentional about something, it usually just kind of falls by the wayside. And, uh, you know, um, I I know of a church that uh, is doing an incredible job of this. And it's a great idea that uh, I wish I had uh, when I was leading my churches. (laughs) Um, Technology has just helped so many people now actually do this. And they're actually leaning into some technology uh, to help with this. So I think of this, there's uh, two kind of important components. Is there a training mechanism for learning how to share your faith? Like that needs to be asked about the church, like, cause it's, it's not natural for, for people. Um, it, it, it does take training. It takes this process where they got to first realize why they should even care uh, about other people in their faith. Um, then how to navigate conversations in a, a natural, organic way, um, how to break through uh, and just build relationships with people who don't yet know Christ and they're not a part of a church, right? So, I mean, there's a lot to learn in that process. And so, you know, asking uh, yourself, you know, does, does our church have a process, uh, a training mechanism of some sort to actually help people learn how to do that. And then the second component I think is, is there accountability for sharing your faith? Mm. So that's where it gets a little bit challenging. Cause it's like, right. we, we did a message series on it, right? You know, we did four weeks on evangel- evangelism and sharing your faith. And uh, we did that, you know, six months ago. Uh, but where is the accountability? That's the question. So, and that's the hard part for any church leader. It's like, ah, just there's, you know, how do we track that? How do we know how many conversations are going on? So this one church I know of uh, is doing a great job with this. Um, they actually created a, an app and a lot of churches have, you know, a church app now, right? 
So this is a real easy thing that they could do. And uh, what they do on uh, every, uh, every time their church gathers, Sunday gathering, whatever it is, um, they have a moment where they ask everyone, hey, pull out your, your, uh, your phone, get on the church app. And uh, we want you to record. And there's got a little s- section where they can actually you know, type in how many spiritual conversations did you have this week with non-believers, not yet believers. And so they're actually able to track this and every week it's holding people accountable, right? So, you know, you'd feel the tension if it's like, you know, another week I didn't have any, another week didn't have any, right? Or you think of, oh, wow, I actually did have a great one this week. Or who could I talk to next week? Um, And it's leading to some incredible fruit within the church. And so I just think that's a great way to create some accountability around this topic. Maybe there's some other ways to do that, but I think that is an important piece. And, and to be able to track, okay, how many, how many conversations do we have happening? And maybe you just have to start small. If you can't do it church-wide right away, just start small with your staff team or kind of those core leaders or your elders and, you know, just begin uh, making that a normal part of your, your church um, metric system. Um, is that happening? How many of our disciples shared their faith with not yet believers this year? Um, you know, great question, isn't it? And yeah. that really, that, that really starts to change the culture of the church. So just by asking that question, you know, it's not how many people did you get to show up here on Sunday? Like that wasn't the question. Mm-hmm. How many, how many people are you actually engaged with in your, where you live, work and play? I mean, yeah. that's, that starts changing the church culture. Yeah. I, I, I love that, Ed. Uh, what a great first question under discipleship uh, and what a great scorecard metric to, to keep our eyes on. And, and I love that because one of the things I love about that question is we are not responsible for the results. We're responsible uh, to sow the seed and, um, and that question puts that emphasis there on, are you talking to people? Uh, not how many gospel conversions do you have on your belt, but because uh, it'll, it'll happen. The second question in this scorecard builds on the, that first one, really. Uh, how many disciples are intentionally making a disciple? So how many disciples are intentionally making a disciple? And I think a key word there is the intentionality um, of really making a disciple. I, I'm a little concerned. I'm, well, actually, I'm very concerned because I've asked pastors for the last couple of years as I've traveled around the nation and spoken to large groups of pastors, small groups of pastors, how many of you can give me the names of two or three people that you are intentionally discipling? And even among pastors, there are very few hands that go up. And if the hand does go up, okay, tell me those two or three names. Uh, I'll put them right on the spot. And, and here's the reason why. Um, because true biblical discipleship is not just done in general. It's done very personally. You can name the people that you're building into as disciples, and um, for a long time, I just really didn't get this in my ministry, Ed, because um, I make a distinction, and this lets us off the hook a little, but it also calls us to accountability. And I make a distinction between indirect and direct disciple making. And here's what I mean. Uh, for I think you are making disciples when you preach the Word of God. I've preached the Word of God two or three or four services a Sunday for the last 30 years, and I think that's disciple-making. I think our our, our small groups are disciple-making, but it's indirect disciple-making, and it's not the kind that will give you multiplication alone. For that, it, it you need to move into direct, intentionalized disciple-making where you're building into individuals with the idea of uh, maturity and mobilization and multiplication. Um, And so now um, I've, 
it, it's been a shift in my own heart and a shift in our staff, um, really to get the culture of multiplication and disciple making going in our in our church at the disciple making level, because we were starting to plant churches and we'd been planting churches, but we didn't do it with the multiplicative discipleship base. So um, I, I went to our staff and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do for the next year. Um, the, th- the four lead pastors are going to disciple you individually. And at the end of that year, you- you're going to have three people in, in that you are going to directly disciple. And there's a whole new disciple making culture that's beginning to happen in our church because, because of that. And uh, so I think this is just a key question. And um, how many disciples are intentionally making a disciple? Um, that's so good. So good, Larry. And I love the fact that you can distinguish between indirect and intentional. So important. And the question of like, give me names, (laughs) you know, it's like, (laughs) let's put a name on it. And if I went to the other person and asked them like, Hey, is Johnny discipling you? Mm -hmm. And if if that's not really clear, you know, um, that's you good. probably need to have a DTR conversation. Let's <laughs> find the relationship here. And many times I think that is part of it uh, because we'll be kind of in natural relationships with people and we think we're influencing, but it go, it has to go to that next level. Let's define the relationship here. Okay. And uh, you know, once you do, then it's just like, you can just take off. You don't have to worry about the awkwardness or anything else. You know, it's just like, let's, let's do something here, you know? Good. And uh, that, that's really helpful. So the third question in this category, uh, remember it's discipleship that leads to multiplication. Uh, so uh, eventually you got to talk about baptism. I love this question. All right. It's a hard one though. So it kind of flows out of your number two there. Uh, how many disciples baptized a disciple this year? Now that's something you can track, right? That you can actually measure that. And, you know, it's a good question uh, for us internally and for our whole church, you know, um, and, and obviously there, there is some polity sensitivity here, depending which church you're part of, obviously, um, but even if your church polity, you know, prefers, uh, maybe ordained pastors to do the baptisms, I think there are some things that you can actually do to still create this culture, uh, where you see disciples baptizing or even helping to baptize their disciple this year. So, uh, I, in my churches, uh, both the church plants that I led, uh, I loved, uh, basing our strategy off of Matthew 28, 19, right? The great commission. I actually changed it. I don't know if this is right or wrong or not, but I call it the great order, the GO. See? GO. <laughs> That's right. That's good. The GO. And within the great commission or the great order, uh, there's four components. You know, you've got, you know, first is to go <laughs> and into uh, all ethnicities and make disciples. And then the third part is to baptize them, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then to teach them everything about Jesus, to obey Jesus, right? So those are the four kind of categories. And we built our strategic plan around those four components. Now, when it came to, and I, I too, like on the disciple maker conversation, I wanted to you know, like, are you making disciples? Like Jesus said to make disciples. So tell me, tell me who you're discipling, Right. And I would ask in each of those categories, I would ask our church, um, you know, first off, where are you going? Uh, what lost part of the culture are you going into? What people groups are you hanging out with? Uh, so where are you going? Uh, who are you discipling? So that's where you actually give me some names. And the third one is, who are you going to baptize this next year? And if you're not going, if you're not making a disciple, you're probably not going to end up in a position to actually have the privilege of baptizing somebody. Uh, and then the ongoing component is how are you helping people obey Jesus, right? So uh, this was 
this was really important for the culture in our church, um, you know, because we wanted to involve people in the baptism process. And so, uh, you know, we loved celebrating baptisms. It's a big deal, right? And uh, super exciting and and everything. And you get to share the stories of those people, the lost becoming found. And it's just like, you know, it's amazing, right? And, uh, you know, even in that uh, process, we were able to do some intentional things, I think, that helped change the culture. One of them was when we told someone's story from lostness to foundness and they're being baptized that day, we were also going to have their, we'd love to do like live testimony style, you know, just keep it real. But then um, we'd love to have their disciple maker with them on the stage. So they were a part of the story. And then uh, we would involve them um, typically in the baptism. Like they, we would train them uh, to do baptisms. Um, It would be overseen by an ordained elder, right? Um, But uh, we would train them in that. We would love to see that process take place. We even asked them in the kind of the baptism class, we we would ask the question, who do you want to baptize you? Most people just assume it's going to be the pastor, yeah. right? That's what they exactly. just think. Like, oh, the pastor's got to baptize me, right? And of course, I'll be there. I'll serve, do my part, however I can help best. But I wanted to see whoever was the spiritual influence in their in their life. I wanted to see them be a part of that. Now, here's what that did. So whenever that happened and we were able to share those stories and we would say so and so is getting baptized, and they get this. They were just they were just discipled by Jessica over this last year, right? So um, she gets to experience the whole process with them, and then uh, you know experience the baptism. Now, as soon as that happens, especially for the first time, someone does that. I mean, it's borderline uh, addiction because <laughs> it it gets to you, and you're like oh my gosh, that was the most amazing experience of my life. Mm-hmm. Like a disciple maker knows that they just had the most amazing experience of their life. And they are on, you know, cloud nine, <laughs> spiritual high for a long, long time. That memory will never leave them. It's unforgettable. And then they're hooked and they just want to do it again and again and again. And, uh, and I think, you know, that's, you know, the, the really cool part about having a culture that, it, you know, is asking this question, right? How many disciples baptized a disciple this year? And uh, you know, I think great. it can lead to a lot of fruit. So uh, yeah, that's great. We actually last, uh, last Sunday, Easter service, uh, we had a, a one disciple maker who was in the water with our pastor baptizing their disciple. And he got out of the water and he said exactly what you said. That was the most amazing thing in my life. Like, whoa. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So jumping into the the second category here, uh, mobilizing leaders for movement. And this is really just equipping others to obey Jesus's commands and be kingdom contributors. Like that's what we want to see happen in people's lives. Uh, So uh, Larry, why don't you go ahead and share the the first question in this section, mobilizing leaders for movement. Absolutely. So the first question we want you to think about, and we think really, um, flows out of uh, the New Testament and the early church is this. And by the way, if you have questions, uh, put them in the chat there and uh, we'll get to those at the end of the, of our time. And uh, just a a reminder, uh, Dr. Ed Love and myself are talking about uh, church multiplication and nine ancient questions for a scorecard that can transform your church coming out of COVID um, in this season that we live in. And so we, we've given three questions under discipleship. Now we're on the second category, mobilization. And the first question of that is this, how many of our disciples are actively using their spiritual gifts in our church and community? How many of our disciples are actively using their spiritual gifts in our church and our community, their community? Um, This, again, builds on the first three questions because now uh, they're being discipled. They've been baptized. Uh, Now we want to move them 
uh, into service in the kingdom. And we believe very strongly that First uh, Peter 2, 9 teaches the priesthood of all believers. Um, it, it's, it's this wonderful Reformation doctrine uh, that flows out of the New Testament practice that the Holy Spirit is given to every son and daughter of God who's been born again and filled with his spirit. And that, that comes with these divine abilities, spiritual gifts, um, in, in order to build the church and to be on mission with Jesus. Unfortunately, the, um, the typical American church has, has substituted the, worst, the word priesthood with volunteer, and we're much, much better at recruiting and training people to be volunteers in our existing church programs than we are in helping them recognize discover their spiritual gifts, develop those gifts, and then deploy those both to build the church, but also to reach out into their sphere of influence, their circle of influence. And uh, we, we've just kind of majored in how to build our programs in an attractional model versus how to equip these disciples to go out with their unique gifts, uh, strengths, talents and passions that they have in order to serve and um, to make a difference. Um, and so I, I think this, this substitution has really, has really hobbled uh, the, the church. And in, in the first category, we're, we're talking about the general call uh, of every believer to be a disciple maker, to be a disciple who becomes in a part of that, a disciple maker. But, but now we begin to get into even a more specific call. There's the general call and there's the unique call. And in Ephesians 2.10, uh, God's very clear about that unique call when he, he tells us there that for we are God's workmanship, her masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared for us long ago before the foundation of the world. And um, so we want to help people into that. And that's what that question does is how many of those disciples are actively using those spiritual gift? One, one question that uh, my wife, who uh, Dr. Deb, she's got a doctorate in church leadership, co-pastors with me, amazing woman of God. But um, she asked this questions of her disciples. What makes your heart sing? What makes your heart sing? Uh, and, and are you doing something with that for the church of Jesus, for the mission of Jesus? And so for, for her example, her doctoral program was a community garden in Compton, California, which borders right where we're at in North Long Beach there. Um, and so she started this community garden that's uh, just been an incredible outreach and mobilized, been a source of mobilization for a lot of the believers in our church as they've gotten involved in that. Um, so I think it's a great question. Um, it is. And it's something you can track too. I mean, you can, you can really, you know, make a list of, uh, all of your people or your core partners and, uh, you can, you can see if it's being done or not, you know, or if they're alive and active, if their heart's singing, yeah. you, can, you can, uh, you can see that and, uh, build on that. So I love that. The, the second question in this category, category kind of builds off of this a little bit more because it gets even more specific. Uh, it, it starts getting into the equipping gifts. So it's the, the question of, you know, how many of our disciples are using their equipping gifts in our church and, and in the community and the world at large? And so by equipping gifts, what we mean is what uh, the, the Apostle Paul laid out in Ephesians 4 with uh, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, these dominant uh, leadership roles in the church and recognizing that there is a transition for many people where they discover maybe they're, they're active, they're using their spiritual gifts, but then they discover that God's called them to be uh, an equipper of the saints. And, and that could be clergy, that could be lay, but um, they, they have a role to play in equipping others in that particular category. Now, uh, most people have a dominant equipping gift. 
and it usually shows up, it's pretty clear, but then there's also the secondary gift uh, that would also be heightened. Um, sometimes they, they go back and forth and, and lean between the two of those. And there's some great uh, resources out there to help you to discover those, um, you know, as far as the, the APEST uh, tests and whatnot. And so that, that's, that's helpful. Um, but also oftentimes it's just, you know, looking back on your life and asking the question, like, how has God used me in other people's lives? And that'll tell you the story, right? And I'll tell you what your equipping gifts really are. And so for me, uh, the apostle is the, the highest, like almost off the charts, apostle, and then teacher is my second one, right? So I lean into both of those and, and really enjoy anything that's awakening those equipping gifts in me. Um, what I think is important is that there is a discovery process. This is where you can track something, okay? So um, a discovery process in your church or a training process in your church, um, to help people discover and activate their equipping gifts. So what does that look like for you? How many times a year are you offering that type of an experience for someone to step into to, to discover that? You know, is there a calling lab uh, experience? Um, what does it look like um, to pull those people together? And then, you know, I think it's a great idea. And what I uh, actually did in, in my ministry was I kept a growing list of those equippers. So I, I had those categories and then I was constantly inserting names into those areas because I could either, I could see it in somebody, um, you know, it helped me be more intentional in my equipping of them. And of course, you know, apostles, like they are the activators of all the other gifts. And so it was really important for me um, to feel like I was activating all the other gifts in the body. And of course, oftentimes the apostles struggle being lead pastors, <laughs> you know, yeah. because apostles, you know, they, they have a hard time just seeing one community. Um, they see a region, you know, it's just, they can't help it, but they just see their heart breaks for a broader region for all these other things. And so sometimes they start getting a little scattered and doing all these other things outside of their community. And, uh, and so I think it's really important just to have that type of list. And then to recognize, you know, God uses all of them. Uh, even all those gifts, he uses them as church planters. Um, you know, I know some great church planters that have a shepherding, right. uh, equipping gift. Um, you know, he uses them all. So this is kind of your pipeline for church planters. And that's why it's so important to keep track of it and have that growing list. Uh, because, you know, those are the people that you can really invest into to take to that next level to potentially send them out. You know, um, I love reading, you know, through the book of Acts and we see all those different points, you know, where uh, the the church recognized like, oh, hey, we got too many, we got too many equippers around here. We need to send them out, you know, let's send them out to the places where they're needed. That's right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of your mentality behind this, which leads into the next one. Go for number three, Larry. Yeah. The third one under the category of mobilization is this. How many of our equippers have an apprentice they are developing? How many of our equippers have an apprentice they're developing? Because um, the, the primary way of equipping is to have an apprentice that you're helping move to um, being an equipper themselves and uh, learning what God is teaching you. And you, you don't have to be uh, all the way down the line to have an apprentice. You just need to be ahead of somebody else. And this, th this whole idea of discipleship that we covered is, you know, in Jesus's time was actually uh, really an apprenticeship. Uh, and um, it, before trade schools, even, even our professions were really done through apprenticeships. And, um, and I think we've lost that. Uh, that there's a uh, great book that we push a lot at Exponential called Hero Maker. And this is that idea that um, if you are a leader, if you're an equipper, your scorecard has to be not about how large of how wide of an impact uh, you are making from your platform, but who are you building a platform for? 
And uh, I've had three or four people that were just really platform builders for me that took me under their wing and helped me understand how to move into higher effectiveness. And, uh, and they, they actually opened doors for me to do more ministry. I, I really think this is, this is that second Timothy two, two principle that we quote so often where Paul says to Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those, entrust those to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And in other words, Paul, Paul says, Timothy, I've apprenticed you, you apprentice others who will then apprentice others. And, and, um, if we would begin to approach ministry that way, where every leadership or equipping role has an identified apprentice who is being trained to either take over that ministry or to expand that ministry somewhere else. Now we've got a leadership pipeline that is not content-based, but it's really relationally based along with that content where they've learned. You learn so much more is caught uh, than taught. And that's certainly true here um, uh, under apprenticeship. And so I, I don't think you can stress too highly. One, one of the great impacts of Community Christian Church under Dave Ferguson, my wife works a lot with Sue Ferguson, and they're all, always stressing this apprentice model. Who, who are you training to do what you're doing? And who are you making a hero of? So that's become something that's really important for, for me in our ministry at Light and Life. Yeah. And it's trackable too. I mean, yes. you've got your list of equippers and then you've got, you know, who they're equipping. You can keep track of that and you can actually, you know, at the end of the year, you can, you can report and say, you know, we've got 25 equippers or, and we've got 25 apprentices and um, you know, that can be a growing list for you and something to really celebrate, you know, absolutely like that is worthy of celebration but you don't hear people talk about that do you like you don't no. hear people celebrating like whoo we got yeah. our uh, equippers in the church uh have uh you know x amount of apprentices you know it's kind of like that that doesn't get talked about but that's what you can do to change that culture absolutely right? so great stuff larry uh the third one the last category we're dealing with is capacity building for exponential impact. And this really gets into the heart of what Jesus wanted to see in Acts 1.8 when, you know, he says, you know, I'm going to uh, send you into uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's kind of this geographical ring that's going out from Jerusalem where the the church is basically centered at at that point. And uh, I love that picture that it does geographically move outward. And uh, I think it's really helpful for us to think about our capacity building in that way. You know, when that happens, when we have this outward sentness going on, uh, then, and if every church in the world is doing that, you know, like someone's into the earth, <laughs> might be our <laughs> Jerusalem, right? We need it. <laughs> but that's exactly what we need mm -hmm. uh, for movement to take place and to continually take place for every generation it needs to be leaning into that geographical imagery. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it, it is really helpful to think that way. In fact, a part of my strategic plan uh, was laying out, here's our Jerusalem. This is my multiplication strategic plan. I coach you know, church multipliers to do this type of thing too. So like, let's just be really specific. You've got a Jerusalem. That's your, your center right now. Or that's where you live. That's where you're at. Uh, what is your Judea? What's that surrounding area? What's your Samaria? Maybe what's that hard community that just seems impossible to break into? Like call that out, name it. Uh, and then how are you impacting, you know, to the ends of the earth? Like, do you have a global piece to that? Do you have something that's cross-cultural um, that you're actually able to think of that way? And if you just break it down that way, um, you can keep track of that. And, uh, and you can think, here's what we're doing in Judea. Here's what we're doing in Samaria. And you can yeah. share that vision with your people and people love it. You know, they love being a part of a bigger vision and picture. 
And so that's when you can start slipping into that level four, level five operating system though, because, you know, you're moving, you know, pretty quickly, rapidly outward. Like it's part of your, your vision and plan. Um, the, so the first question in this category just deals with how many opportunities did your church create to call people out to live as sent ones? So it's more about the opportunities at this mm-hmm. point. So that's what you can track is how many opportunities did you create that s- sense of calling to actually call people out or to um, commission them? So um, just thinking about, you know, what are those opportunities of engaging your people and being able to track that, I think is really important. Absolutely, Ed, that's, that's great. And uh, again, if you've just joining us here, uh, Ed and I are talking about the ancient scorecard uh, of the early church and uh, the questions that we think you need to revisit. And we've given you um, now seven questions. We've got two more to go. Um, and these questions can help you move your church into a greater level of effectiveness and multiplication as you come out of COVID and as you begin to address the realities of this post-Christian, post-COVID world. Um, And we're under this category of capacity building, structuring your uh, church ministry in a way that it really is um, strategically positioned to... um, towards multiplication. And so the second question here, Ed, is how, how many people did our church commission to be sent into another community or people group to live incarnationally this past year? Mm. So this idea of commissioning people into their mission field, um, whether that's the community where they live, work, play, uh, or to a different people group, um, so there are all kinds of people groups. Um, Ed Stetzer likes to say your city is not a pancake where you just pour the syrup of Jesus on and it saturates everything. Your city is a waffle with these little divots and each little divot is a different people group. And we need incarnational disciples entering into the, each little divot of our city here in Long Beach. We're a city of half a million. And how, how do we commission believers to go into those places and live incarnationally? And so uh, you've got to have that mindset in your church that, uh, hey, we are a sending organization. That's, that's who we are. We're structured to send people. In fact, uh, and when we really began to move in this many years ago, we changed our mission statement to this, reach, teach, mend, and send. And uh, we, we wanted our people to realize that they were either going to be sent to plan a new church, or, but even if, it, even if they weren't that, they were already sent into a specific mission field, one of those divots where they could bring the sweetness and the love of Jesus Christ to. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this is what Jesus prayed in Matthew 9. Uh, 35 to 38, that really forms our reach, teach, mend, and send. But he said, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And that's what we're talking about here, commissioning people to go. Um, I, I think every person needs to declare, every believer needs to declare a mission field. Uh, that this, this is this is where I'm seeking to live out the mission of, of Christ. And we've done different things to commission that if a, um, you know, we'll have a commissioning service where we will anoint with oil, each one that has declared their mission field and say for this year, for 2021, we are sending you into this mission field. And uh, it's really a powerful time of commissioning. And then if, if someone is going into more of a, more of a declared uh, ministry role, whether it's bivocation or vocational or church planting, we'll bring them up front with their team, um, anybody that might be going with them in that role or alone, and we'll wash their feet and we'll send them um, so that their feet may bring the gospel um, to a new place. And it just, it just continually sends this message of commissioning people to go 
from Light and Life, not just to stay and make our our lake church and make a lake church where you grow bigger and bigger, but uh, river church where people flow in and then flow out. Oh, that's powerful, Larry. And uh, so, so cool that you can do that uh, for those people. Just, I think, uh, you know, they, like most believers would in general <laughs> feel like uh, I should be a, a helpful person in the world, or I should, you know, right. serve the world. I want to be good for the world. I want to be a contribution. But then when you can get specific with people and say, you know, I'm a missionary in my particular neighborhood. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'm a missionary in my workplace. Then it's like a game changer. Yeah. And then like, it just, you know, they come alive in that and uh, so much more focused. So that's so helpful. And the third question kind of leads out of that. Uh, it'd be this question of how many new reproducing churches has our church incubated and initiated this past year? So every year, it's a great question to ask. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you know, if you have that culture of discipleship that leads to multiplication and mobilizing leaders, helping people discover their equipping gifts, and then the sending culture starts being created. And then you have this reality of like, well, we actually start new churches, you know, we're reproducing. Imagine that. And, uh, and that's something that you can really track. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think it's helpful, uh, even in the uh, beginning stage, you know, if you're just getting into this, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, let's just think about planting one church this year, you know, like, (laughs) let's just, let's just start there. Right. Um, it, I think it's helpful just to think through, um, you know, what is the process that people have to go through to get to the point where they're ready to be sent, you know? And so that can also begin with like, just by having a church planning residency program, you know, how many people do you actually have in a church planning residency program where they're being trained up specifically for church Mm -hmm. planning, right? Um, maybe you need to think about who are you partnering with? Uh, maybe you can't do it all by yourself, you know, the first year. So you pull in some partners, um, work with others on that, or just be a supporting church for a church planner that's coming into your town, whatever it might be. Um, there's some simple ways that you can just get involved and uh, be partnered. And or maybe there's even a church planning network that you're a part of, and that helps you just, you know, changes the culture from within and you have you know, uh, something that you can say, like, we're a part of this, you know, Um, we're, we're, uh, we're behind it, we're supporting it, we're funding it, we're actively involved in the process. And so I think that can really help um, even create some other subcategories under that one. Um, Even if it, it might seem like a initial stretch, but you have these other categories of like, yep, we're moving that direction. And it's only a matter of time before it all catches up in the discipleship and the mobilization of leaders. And it all catches up to this, this sending moment. And maybe it's moments, you know, Mm -hmm. like it might be multiple churches that you're planting in one year instead of just one. Um, So I think that, you know, kind of thought is really helpful. And then it gets your team on board and people get excited about it. You know, what I love doing, this is a simple idea. Um, I love taking my like advisory team or my, my board of elders. So we would have, you know, monthly meetings, pretty typical. Um, we would actually go and meet in other communities. So we wouldn't meet in our, our town. We would go meet in another random town. And what were we doing? We were thinking about what does it look like to plant in this, this particular community? Seems a little random to us, but maybe God could work. And in several cases he did. It was kind of cool looking back on it. So um, there's some things that you can do that will lead you to the reproducing of churches and, uh, and it'll change that culture. So, Hey, Larry, there is a question here uh, that uh, uh, came in and uh, it would be this question. It seems there has been a separation in church activity and daily life activity perhaps due to the addiction of hurry, mm-hmm. uh, what, if any, pro paradigm 
shift is needed to cultivate a connection between the two that brings the body to understand disciples are made in the rhythms and routine of community life publicly engaged. Does that make sense to you? You want to tackle it? uh, Well, I'll need your help, but it's, uh, it's the, it's the the right question. Um, There has been this separation between uh, church activity and daily life and activity. And uh, much of it does have to do with the busyness and the barrenness that comes from busyness and um, the integration that really is needed. Um, unfortunately, too often pastors have really have really helped create that atmosphere that that real spiritual life happens at church rather than the church being what really happens during the week as well in, in the community where you live, work, and pro- play. Um, and uh, um, if, if, like we've been talking about, if, if, if pastors and leaders and church cultures can begin to celebrate what happens in your daily life um, much more, Tell those stories much more than how many people showed up at church last Sunday um, or what's the newest building we're building or what's the new budget number we're trying to raise. But instead, the stories that are being told, the heroes that are being platformed are those that are doing missional work in their own neighborhood. Um, and w- when that is championed, that creates that engagement and integration that's that's really needed. It's you can be such a holy computer programmer on mission at your workplace, and but if that never gets celebrated, you, you tend to think of that as second class, and it's really not. Ed, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And it is the stories that you can tell. Like you can change the culture by the stories that you tell, and so being thinking through. Like even if if you're a preacher, you know, every message, there's a story like that, that leads people to believe that, you know, the important thing that's happening is out there. And I just, you know, I just heard so-and-so, they just did this, uh, this past week. And uh, as a preacher, you're able to communicate those types of things. And that just changes everything radically. And, uh, and, you know, it's not like good things don't happen in the gathered church. Absolutely. It's great. Um, But then, you know, being able to really point to these, these things that are happening in the community that just helps people get it. And then they're like, "Mm, wonder, wonder if there would ever be a story told about me, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely. Our our gatherings on Sunday really need to be like uh, cars pulling up to the filling station, but instead we've kind of turned them into a car show and uh, Oh, you so y- you come and you just look at the car <laughs> rather than <laughs> so anyway yes uh, absolutely Ed you you want to okay. talk just before we're done about uh, this doctor program why you think it's important uh, this uh, this this partnership that exponential and Asbury Seminary Seminary one of the leading seminaries in our nation. Have, have put together this partnership for a three-year doctoral, uh, doctoral program, a doctorate of, uh, of ministry in church multiplication. Why is that important? And what are we going to do in that, you and I, as we lead that uh, with some incredible people alongside of us? And yeah, how there, can they get is, There's an incredible group already starting to apply and um, I want to encourage anyone to take that next step and, and go for it um, if you're ready for that in your life. And I'm super excited about it. It's going to be great to journey with, you know, a, a pretty strong cohort of, you know, leaders that are just focused on church multiplication. And I think the cool part is, you know, in addition to, you know, some of the, the studies and, and things that you get into that really help you get focused, but you're able to, you know, um, have a specific project that you really care about, or it's a big question that you want to really find answers for, or there's a knowledge gap in the broader church multiplication realm. And to be honest, we need more experts in the church multiplication realm. Yeah. So uh, would it would be, you know, um, I mean, you don't have to 
work very hard to find out like, oh, here's, here's the gap. And, and this is something I could actually contribute to the broader knowledge base of the community of church multipliers. And, and that would be really helpful for the broader church for one. Um, but then also you're able to work within your specific context. And so, you know, maybe it has something to do with, uh, you know, developing the uh, each of these categories uh, or you might just pin down one category of, uh, you know, discipleship that leads to multiplication. That's an area of focus or mobilizing leaders. You know, um, what are you doing in your current context uh, that actually becomes your project? So you're researching what you're doing. You yeah. know, that's the great part of a doctorate in ministry is that it's very applicable and helpful to your current context. And it's not just dealing with, you know, abstract theory. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the fruit that'll come out of this. I mean, just, you know, for leaders to go on a three-year journey, um, who've probably already been leaning into the church multiplication realm, but now they're really, um, willing to, you know, take it to the next level and, uh, provide some, you know, some helpful research and commentary for the roadmap ahead. So it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Thanks, Ed. And uh, absolutely. And we want to invite all of you that are on to uh, a luncheon that's happening this Thursday. And there's uh, links that uh, you can click there that will will help you sign up for that luncheon where we'll actually be virtual and you can get a a lunch card from Asbury for showing up as as an interested party in this uh, doctorate of ministry um, cohort that's going to be starting up. We're already getting applications in. It's one of the more affordable uh, doctorates that you can do. Both my wife and I have done doctorates and they can get expensive. And this is one of the more affordable ones. And Ed and I will be bringing in not only some of the best uh, professors at Asbury, but also some of the exponential experts uh, around the world into this thing and uh, being on site and um, and uh, with exponential. So it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a great time. And we'd like to invite you to be part of that. If that reflects where you're at and uh, anything else, Ed, you'd want to say before we close? I think they're putting a link in the chat room there for uh, the actual uh, Asbury webpage that you could go to and find out more information and even start the application process. So that's there for you. So super exciting. And it's great to do this with you here today, Larry. I learned a lot from you as always. Uh, likewise, brother. Likewise. Hey, we want to pray with you as we close. Uh, so would you just uh, receive our prayers? Father, thank you uh, that you have gathered people either live or that will listen to this later. Um, we thank you, God, that you are sending your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. You promised in John 14, 26 to teach us all things via your spirit. And Lord, the most important thing that we can learn is to love you more fully follow you more closely, and then to be sent on mission with you more productively, more fruitfully, God. And so Ed and I just pray for each one that joins us and listens to this broadcast, Lord, that you would help them to bear much fruit, for it is to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. May we do that as we multiply your kingdom in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being a part.